0: You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. It's great to be with you again this morning. We're gonna be picking up in our three-part series that Peter started us with last week. um, Three essential ingredients to the Christian life as we live in the midst of COVID-19. And it's from Romans chapter 5. And if you want to turn there with me this morning, we can read it together verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And our focus is on those three words there this morning. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character then leads to hope. And next Sunday, Jay is going to be sharing with us about what that hope looks like. Last week, Peter shared with us a couple definitions of endurance. He said it was to remain steadfast or endure as we go through the challenges of life. He also said endurance is being able to hold out under very difficult circumstances and to be able to endure a trial or situation. And then Paul says that suffering that produces that kind of endurance then leads us to this idea of character. And what this means, we have to really look at the Greek word for this. Some translations translate it, I think, the right way. But it's uh, dokime, and what that means is it means proven character. It means character that has come under a test, passed the test, and has come out on the other side as being authentic. And it's it's really, we can say it this way, proven character has is, is been tested and found to be genuine, real, authentic. And then... Uh, It's so exciting to see what that's going to do as far as how that produces hope in us. So one of the things I've learned and as I thought about this message this week is um, suffering, as it does these things in us, it reveals, it, it not only just proves our character, it also reveals our character, doesn't it? We find out who we really are. Suffering in our lives lets those little things come out our thoughts, our words, our actions, whatever. And so suffering reveals our character. And if we pass the test, it also proves our character. So that's kind of what we're going to be looking at this morning as we go through this. And I want to say that um, we're going to look at the life of someone from the Old Testament because I thought, you know, we could go through and try to do a study on proven character. But I thought, why not look at a guy and his three of his friends who... Are uh, with him Daniel and his three buddies um, as they're brought into captivity. Um, they teach us about character but they also show us what character looks like. And if I could say something to you this morning from my heart I'd like to say this. Not, not only does this message that we're going to look at this morning have uh, application to us as individuals, it also has application to us as a church. And that's really vital and I really want to ask you to let that also be your filter as we go through these Things this morning, individually and then collectively as a church. So we're going to look at Daniel, and just a quick backstory: the the Jews in Israel haven't been living the way that God's called them to live. He's threatened him. He's told them these things are going to happen, and then one day he sends Nebuchadnezzar, and he goes and he conquers the land of Israel. Um, he leaves a lot of people there, but he brings the best, the cream of the crop, back to uh, Babylon. And that's what we're gonna pick up this morning in the story of Daniel and his three friends that have now come out of, out of the land of Israel and they're in Babylon. And uh, it's not an easy life, let's just put it that way. So let's read from, in Daniel chapter 1, verses one through eight. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Asphanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king himself ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And we're looking at this, uh, you know, two-month lockdown, maybe three, shelter in place, as in so many ways, I mean, it's almost like the end of life as we know it, and we're trying to figure out how to cope and how to get through it. So these guys, they're captured in Israel, brought to Babylon, And now they're basically going through complete and total indoctrination. They changed their names because what they're trying to do is cause them to lose their identity, to lose who they are and who they were uh, growing up in Israel. So what can we learn as we look at the lives of Daniel and his three buddies? And the first thing, the first point, and I hope you write these down, but the number one thing is, is, proven character means you hold tight to your identity. Suffering will always test our identity it always will test do we really know who we are or will outside circumstances change that as things press in on us and i'm going to say they cause they cause the real to come out of us don't they suffering pressure external circumstances difficult times and sometimes that's a good thing because we find out that who we are our identity we're holding on to it and other times we find out well Maybe I'm not holding on so tight after all. Maybe I'm willing to let go of some of these things that I believe in. So difficulties test us and we find out really what our faith is based on. So listen again to verse 8 and how it starts. It says, but Daniel resolved. And that's really, I think, what made the difference in Daniel's whole time, 70 years in captivity. At the very beginning it says, Daniel resolved. In other places, it says Daniel made up his mind. Um, Daniel, it says, another one, it says Daniel purposed in his heart. Before he could get pulled or sucked into anything, Daniel made up his mind that he knew who he was and he wasn't going to compromise that for anybody. I would say it this way, Daniel had personal convictions that drove and regulated his behavior. Convictions that helped him make right choices Even though he wasn't with his parents anymore, he wasn't with his family, he wasn't with the Jews, um, he was by himself with these three other guys. But in spite of being alone, Daniel made up his mind. He resolved that he was going to be a certain kind of man in in these circumstances. And as I think about that, if you're a young person this morning, um, how many times have you gotten to a place where no one was around and you got to be whoever you wanted to be? and that's really essentially where where he he was in this story that we're looking at this morning. So here's the question that we have to ask ourselves and that's this, what will we do when no one is watching? It really reveals what our character is or it reveals what our character is not. And I'm going to say in this time that we're living in as as the pressure kind of rises for us and the suffering gets, I'm going to say, still relatively not intense, but for us it is. As we get into things deeper and deeper, what will you do when people are watching you? (laughs) As you go through this time of shelter in place and all the things that we're going through. And one of the things that I think we can see is um, a lot of people's character is coming out and how they talk to people, how they respond, the things that they do. And so sometimes I'm going to say we think when we go through suffering, it gives us permission to let go of our true identity, our true character, and then to become something else or someone else. But I'm going to say one of the, one of the greatest things that makes the world question Christianity is when we don't live out what we say, or I could say it maybe this way, when what we say and what we do, our behavior is different. It leads the world to judge us, and they give us a certain word, and that word is hypocrites. And even right now, I can tell you the world is watching you. If people around you know that you're a follower of Christ, they're gonna watch and they're gonna see is what you say about who you are and what you believe gonna line up with your actions and what you do? And I love this question or this statement that D.L. Moody made a long time ago. He said, Character is who you are in the dark. And can I just tell you this morning, Daniel knew who he was, and he wasn't going to give him to anything else. So let's keep going. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 2. So flip over in your Bible. And we're going to start in verse 10. It says, the astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king has asked. And so let me just give you a quick backstory. The king has had a dream. It's a scary dream. He's, I mean, he's his mind is blown by it. He pulls all of his astrologers and magicians and everyone's together and he says, I want you to tell me two things. What was my dream and what does it mean? <laughs> and so that's that's this is the response that, the, that that they give. The astrologers answer the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked, The king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this time, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then it says, verse 19, I love it. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And the second point or principle that I want us to grab this morning is this, that even when you are in captivity and suffering, you can allow God to develop you in new ways. So these guys come in, they're already pretty much the cream of the crop, but they're studying, they're learning, they're growing. And I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say what Daniel does, and it says about him in, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, it says this. So these guys, all four of these young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And then listen to this about Daniel. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. That was a spiritual gift that God had given to Daniel. It wasn't about what they could read and understand or things they could do with their own natural talents. This was a spiritual gift that God gave Daniel. And so I'm just going to say they used captivity as a time to grow in knowledge and skill, which was good. And Daniel used captivity as a time to develop his spiritual gifts and understanding and ability to interpret dreams and visions. So the first question we asked just a minute ago was, what will you do when no one is watching? And I want to ask you a second question this morning. What will you do with what God has given you? And that's both natural talents and supernatural gifts and abilities that God has given you. Because He's given both of those things to you for a reason. And I'm going to say as I've, as I've looked and talked with people during this time, a lot of people are using this time, I think, in a very positive way, and that's to evaluate their lives. To look at what, what they, who they were and what they were doing before this whole shelter-in-place order came out. And a lot of them are making a commitment that when this is over, they want to live differently. They want to readjust their priorities. They want to live and do and perform their lives in a different way. And I'm going to say a lot of people that I've talked to are convicted that prior to this, they really weren't living their lives for God and for the Lord in the way that they should have been. Some of them have realized that they consume more than they give, that they're, they're takers and not givers And God is showing them that they've been given much and now it's time to take that much and give it back. To use it for His kingdom, to use it to encourage and build up His church and to help it become all that He wants it to be on this earth. And here's what I think. I think it would be a tremendous shame if when we went back to normal, our culture and also our society, that as Jesus followers, we went back to normal too. Just back to the same way that we were before all of this started. I think that would be one of the greatest travesties on earth. That we would, when we come back, my hope and my prayers, we're going to look differently than when this started. That you have this opportunity to begin to say, God, what have you given me? What natural things have you given me? Gifts, talents, abilities, and wisdom. What supernatural gifts and talents have you given me? And I want to use them afresh and anew to build your kingdom. And if you want to study about this, I can tell you exactly where to go. Go to Romans chapter 12, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in Ephesians 4, 10, and 11, and it talks about the office gifts that God has given us as as His body. And you can begin right now to ask God, help me see and know what you've given me. And I know a lot of you have been Christians for a long time. And hopefully by now you know what He's given you. You know what your gifts are. You know the things, the supernatural deposit of His Spirit that He's placed in you that are gifts for you to use to build up His kingdom. And I'm going to pray that He's going to reveal it again to you in a powerful way. And that during this time, however long it's going to be until we're freed up in California, that you're going to ask God, show me how to use my gifts to build your kingdom here on this earth. And I'm I'm praying that just as Daniel was determined to use everything that God had given him to bring glory to God and to bring his kingdom on earth, that you will do the exact same thing. Amen? (laughs) So then the third thing that we want to look at this morning is proven character means you don't compromise no matter how bad things get. So after Daniel interprets this dream where the king has a giant, in his dream he has a giant statue, all these things happen to it. So, you know, Daniel tells him, you know, you don't want to be doing this, but what does the king do? He goes out and builds this giant gold statue. And then he says to everybody, you're going to bow down and worship it. So uh, a lot of the astrologers and enchanters and those guys, they don't like Daniel and his friends. And so they're watching to find out when the music sounds, are they going to bow down and worship? Well, they don't. So let's go to Daniel chapter 3 and start in verse 8. It says, "'At this time some astrologers came forward "'and denounced the Jews. "'They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, "'May the king live forever. "'Your majesty has issued a decree "'that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, "'zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music "'must fall down and worship the image of gold, "'and that whoever does not fall down and worship "'will be thrown into a blazing furnace. "'But there are some Jews whom we have set "'over the affairs of the prophets of Babylon,' Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. And then I love the king's response. <laughs> Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned them. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn and all the instruments... If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. And I don't know if they rehearsed this or had it planned out or what, but listen to what they say. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and He will deliver us from Your Majesty's hand. But even if He does not, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And as I read that, I just think of, are you struggling in any areas of your life with compromise right now? Because of the situation we're in, how long it's been in, whatever, are you tempted to compromise And I'm going to say, and if you're mad about what's going on, I'm going to say you have even greater potential to compromise because we love (coughs) using our anger and our emotions to justify why we will compromise. We look at it and we say, well, this happened to me over here. It's upset me. It's hurt me. It's damaged me. It's done this or that or whatever. And so now that means that I can compromise and do this over here. And I'm going to say... Those dudes did not believe in that. They, they, had, they had their morals, they had their ideals of who they were going to worship and how they were going to worship, and they weren't going to cave when the king threatened them with captivity. And I'm just going to say lots of times, the greater the suffering, the greater we have a propensity as human beings to justify it, don't we? And I'm going to say, I'm going to say secretly many times We welcome suffering, adversity, and things like that because we know (laughs) what we're thinking. It says, in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, who can know it? We know that we're gonna use these things to justify things that we're gonna do, compromises that we're gonna make, decisions that we're gonna allow ourselves to make because we ultimately want to compromise. We wanna go our own way and we wanna do our own thing. But most of those things, I'm going to say, are the result of what's happening in our own minds. We make them up, we give ourselves the reasons, and then we bow down, we compromise, and we give in. So we don't want to do that, do we? <laughs> we want to live differently as followers of Christ. So let's keep on going. In Daniel chapter 3, this is what it says when they, when they say they're not going to bow down. They hit the music again, and they don't do it. So it says in verse, uh, starting in verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then listen to this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, and governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was their hair, their heads singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands. They did not compromise, and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Wow! Man, is that powerful. So here's the fourth thing that we want to learn this morning. Proven character Means that you know you can be free, even in captivity. Think about this. Think about how they went in and how they came out. They went in bound, but they came out free. And can I just say, you have to ask yourself the question: Who was the fourth man in the fire? And theologians would tell us that that they believe it's a theophanies, it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, that he stepped out of time even though this is the Old Testament, and he shows up there with our, our three friends. And somehow in that f- furnace, they get free. They're no longer bound. And the God of heaven in the form of Jesus is right there with them. And could I say it this way? It's what Jesus came for. It's what he came for then. It's what he came for 2,000 years ago. And it's what he still comes for today. Today and that's to set captives free. What Jesus did on the cross by being nailed there on that tree and by shedding His blood, it was all for the purpose that we might be set free from the power of sin and death. And as we look at that and we think about that this morning, we we really learn that so many times Um, We're not cast into a furnace, are we? We're not held captive, bound and held captive there. But we're bound by so many other things. And I'm going to say what we're bound with, a lot of it starts right here in our heads, doesn't it? It starts with our own lies, the things that we tell ourselves that aren't true. It starts with our own self-deception, pretending, denying, doing things making our own excuses it's our own sins our own thoughts all things that begin to build walls around us and hold us captive and I'm gonna say it even we'll even go one step further like so many of these things um, our minds can create fears can't they fears of things that maybe never ever will happen but yet we we create them in our minds Um, there's unforgiveness We build ourselves our own little furnace that we're held captive in because we can't forgive. There's hatred of people, politicians, all kinds of things right now. I know a lot of people are saying a lot of hateful things about people. There's worry. And I'm going to say worry often leads to this next thing, and that's what ifs. So we're laying there in bed at night and our mind is going off on what if this happens, what if that happens, what if this doesn't happen, then this is going to happen. And pretty soon we find ourselves completely held captive, not by anything physical, but by things that we create in our own minds that hold us captive in a very, very powerful way. As believers in Jesus, what should be true about us? Are we ever truly held captive? Can anything really hold us back or keep us? I'm gonna say, if you know Jesus and you trust in him, even if somehow you do end up bound up, it should only just be a second. And with his power, with his touch, and with his love, we can be moving and walking around soon again in freedom. And I read a great story um, this past week it's about a congressman. Actually, he he didn't run for re-election in 2018. His name is Sam Johnson. He's truly an American hero. But it ties into so much of what we're looking at this morning. He was an Air Force pilot, F-4 Phantom. In 1966, he got shot down in Vietnam. They came and captured him. When he ejected, he broke both of his arms, one rather severely. When he hit the ground, he broke his back. He was in intense pain. They took him in, they repeatedly broke his right arm over and over and over again because he knew that he was right-handed to torture him, to try to get information from him. So he was was a prisoner of war for seven years. But for four of those years, the first four years, he was put in solitary confinement in a cell that was three foot by nine foot, a concrete cell that had a solid steel door and just a place to pass food through. You might want to measure out something that's three foot by nine foot and look at that and imagine living in it for four years. At first he thought he could never make it, that being in captivity, the physical pain he was in, there was no way that God could ever help him make it through. But every day as he began to pray and ask God to help him, he began to feel God's presence and to sense his presence, and every day he grew stronger and stronger and stronger. And soon he began to remember scriptures. They devised a way to communicate from cell to cell with, um, by tapping so they could encourage each other and help each other. He knew, he knew that God was right there with him and he knew that God would get him through. And one of the things they did after, after, those, after those four years of being in the cell in solitary, they began to take him out and they would put him in iron chains Uh, during the day and then bring him out and put him in wooden stocks. And he realized that the time, the transition between the iron chains and the wooden stocks, when they put him in the chains, the swelling in his legs would go down. And then when they put him in the stocks, he wasn't in so much pain. So he said, I learned to thank God even for that. For being in iron chains, I thanked God. And he said, over time, uh, they gave us more freedom. Uh, We began to sing, I never thought I could sing, um, but we began to sing songs like Silent Night, The Battle Hymn of the Republic, The Star Spangled Banner, and God Bless America. And finally, after seven years, he was free, came back and ran for Congress, it's an amazing story. But he declared, he learned that even though he was a POW, that in Christ, he could be free. We think, Being locked down in our homes is bad. It doesn't compare to four years in a three-by-nine-foot concrete cell. If God can help him get through that, God can help us get through that. That no matter what captivity we are in, Jesus is right there with us. He reaches down, he unbinds us, and by his very life, he sets us free. And this morning, uh, we're going to share in the Lord's table. And so I have um, the cup and I have the bread. And I really, really can't think of any greater story to think about than this, of here he is in captivity, but Jesus shows up there right there with him. And there's a story, and it's uh, from right around the resurrection, which we're not too far away from celebrating, and it's from Luke chapter 24. And just listen to this. Jesus, well, the two guys are walking on the road to Emmaus. They've lost hope. They're held captive by their own minds. They've given up. They think Jesus is gone. The whole thing is over. The hope that they had, all those hopes are dashed and gone. And then as he walks along with them, he asks them what's going on. They they share their sad story. And then he says in verse uh, 25 in Luke 24, he says to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Then it says that, that when they were at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks, and he broke it and began to give it to them. Now listen to this. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and then he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked? he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and said, it, it is true, the Lord has risen from the dead and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And my hope and my prayer for you this morning is, is I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're feeling captive, if you're feeling like you're bound up, you're in a fiery furnace of trials and difficult situations. All I can say is, My prayer is the same thing would happen to you, that your eyes would be opened and that you would realize that Jesus is right there with you this morning wherever you are. And I pray that as it says that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for for me. As often as you do this, remember me. And I just wanna encourage you, remember Jesus and may Jesus break through and be with you right now wherever you are and we receive this bread with thankful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And then it says that when the meal was over, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of the sins of all mankind as often as you drink of it, remember me. And I just wanna encourage you this morning, remember Jesus. Remember who he is, remember what he's done for you. Remember that as you walk with him through difficulties and trials and struggles of this life, that as you trust in him and he gets you through, you will have proven character. So Jesus, we receive this cup and we're so grateful for it. In your name, amen. Let's just pray this morning. Father, we thank you. And Lord, as we take of the bread and the cup this morning, we know that you're right here with us. Not only do we remember you, but we see you. We know the truth that you said in Hebrews that you will never, ever leave us and you will never, ever forsake us. So Lord, help us to be like Daniel. Help us to be people that, that we live out our word, that we don't compromise, that we know our identity, that we know that we can trust you in the greatest fire that we could ever possibly experience in this life. When the furnace is red hot, you're right there with us. You come and you set us free and you bring us out and you lead us into beautiful things. So Father, I just pray, Lord, for your people this morning. Be with them, bless them, encourage them and help them to know that if they walk with you, they will have proven character and that proven character will lead to hope. So, Father, we just say we bless you and we thank you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.